welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Thank you, Ryan Treasure, my announcer. Welcome to all of my guests and welcome to our audience around the world. We're so happy to move Read My Lips Radio to the Variety Channel at World Talk Radio, Voice America. I am AKA Radio Red. And today we're going to take a look inside the clever minds of crime thriller novelists. Did you ever read a crime thriller, a murder mystery, and say, I wonder how they came up with the characters and the plot. I wonder how they have engaged me and pulled me into the story where I just can't put the book down. And that's whether it's a hardcover book, a hard copy, real paper, whether it's an ebook, whether it's something on Kindle or Moby, however you get your reading material today. I'm wondering sometimes myself, are they sitting in a dark, stormy night in a basement with one little light on and saying, hmm, I sense a crime could be happening. Let me write a 350-page novel and send it out to the world and see if people like it. So today I have three wonderful people on. They've been on radio with me many times. I'm thrilled to say I consider them my friends. We're going to be speaking with Lynn Venucci, who is the publisher and executive editor at Water Street Press, which is an independent boutique, highly selective publisher. They're not owned by a big conglomerate or a parent company. And Lynn's company, publishes extraordinary writers, and we have two of them with us today, working in long form or short form, and we'll have her to tell us what that means to find that, creating literary fiction, commercial fiction, and nonfiction for intelligent, engaged readers. And that's all of you, because I know you're going to want to read these books. We're welcoming today, along with Lynn, Dennis D. Wilson. He carries the middle initial D, like my other name, I carry a middle initial D, but aka Radio Red has no initials in the middle. Dennis. Dennis is the author of the Dean Wister series, W-I-S-T-E-R. His novels are The Grand, The Grand Prize, and he has come up with a short story collection called The Grand Sextet. Yes, it has S-E-X in it, but it's sextet meaning six. So we'll find out about that. And then we were also going to be talking to Joe Calderwood. They are both published by Lynn's Company. Joe is the author of the Clint Kennedy Crime series, which includes the novels Stained Fortune, Money Fawcett, Hard Cash, and he's also releasing a short story collection called The Dance of Death. Got to hear all about that, Joe. So welcome to everyone around the world. We're so happy to have you here, and we're just going to see if we can get into the minds, the heads of these people who are so con- so committed to publishing good, intelligent stuff to read for us to read entertainment and novels make you think. So let me say welcome to each of you. Lynn Venucci, I know you're on the phone with us today. Lynn, say hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We had a delay. Lynn, I'm so happy to have you here. We were hoping to have you on Zoom so we could be looking at you and talking to you, but we will take you on the phone anytime. And now let's say hello to Dennis. Thank you. Dennis D. Wilson. Say hi. Hi there, Red. Hi there, everyone. Nice to see you. And Joe Calderwood, how are you? Great. How are you, Red? Good. I'm fine. Thank you. They're getting used to calling me Red because that's not my real name, but we're going to really try it this time. So Lynn Venucci, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, mostly as a publisher. I know you're also a novelist, Lynn, but tell us how you got into the publishing business. 
Can I, let me take you back before that, because I want to riff on something that you had said, how people sure. prepare for, to, to write the characters. Back before I published my first novel, I worked on um, videos, and I did videos for DC and Marvel Comics. Um, there, was a, there were large clients of mine, and um, uh, this was back when Alan Moore of The Watchmen, V for Vendetta, had just taken over the Swamp Thing from Len Wein. And uh, comic book people will will know what I whereof I speak. But Alan Moore was coming. He's, he's British, and he was coming to New York um, for the launch of his you know new Swamp Thing. He was a young, untested writer. This was back in the early '80s, and I said that I would interview him on tape and and have it for posterity. So one of the questions I asked him, um, he's just a delightful human being. Um, I, I we sat down in the studio. And the first question I asked him, one of the first questions was, how do you prepare to white swamp thing? And he looked at me with all that big bushy hair and that wonderful dry British sense of humor. And he said, well, he said, first I fill the bathtub with mud and bugs and then I crawl in it. <laughs> I fill the bathtub with mud and bugs and then I crawl in it. Lynn, that is absolutely yeah. perfect. I'm watching Den Dennis is by the way, wearing this really cool cowboy hat and these very, very dark glasses. Can't see his eyes, and Joe is smiling with delight at what you, you just said. Let's quickly get a take on that, and then I'm going to go and do my usual opening because we have a bunch of celebrity birthdays I have to announce. But uh, Dennis D. Wilson, talk. Do you, do you ever crawl in a tub filled with mud and bugs when you write your novels? Well, I feel like I'm torturing my characters sometimes um, because I think they all have to struggle a bit. And my main character, I really created a trauma for him to start out the entire first book, and he's carried that trauma with him for... I don't know how long he's going to carry it with him, but he's still carrying it with him today. So I think for me, the main characters, some of the characters have to struggle and struggle creates a lot of empathy and interest from the reader when they struggle along with the characters. Absolutely. And you're talking about Dean Wister, who is a, a somewhat of a cowboy. Uh, your novels take place in the Grand Tetons in Wyoming, and he lost his wonderful, beautiful wife, Sarah, to cancer. She visits him in his mind and she's part of the story so that's the challenge for him right is figuring out is he sane is he dreaming is he hallucinating is that, is that the challenge you're going to carry with him through all of your novels Dennis well so far the first two he's carried that with him and he's getting slightly better at times than he was in the first book and the second book but he still has that sadness he carries with him and I think that that may be with him for the rest of his life I, I don't in, in a real sense I think as a police officer as well, it creates an ability for him to have empathy with everyone else, which I think is relevant in today's world, obviously. Um, he's a police officer who has the hardness of a police officer, but he has the empathy as well, sense of loss that he can identify with the other people he's, he's working with, the victims of the crimes that he's working with. Thank you. I, I like, I think it makes him very human that he's thinking about her, missing her and continues to keep her in his life even to the point where she's in his bed when he crawls in exhausted at night sometimes. That's a whole other side. No, it's not a sex novel. It's not X-rated, but it's it's an interesting twist. Thank you, Dennis. Joe, uh, talk to me a little bit about your, your main character, Clint Kennedy. Clint Kennedy. Uh, so he's an opportunist and uh, basically would do anything to make money, and he pretty much has since he was a teenager. Uh, going through college, best friend, uh, was wealthy. All his friends were wealthy. Money came from their family, so they didn't have to work for it, but Clint did. He had to figure this out. 
So uh, opportunists driving, basically thinking, how can I get to where everybody else is? What's it going to take to do that? So uh, that's why I say opportunist. And um, it just took off from there as far as how that character developed for me. Not that it's anything like me, but so many people I've known over my career and all that is what are the things people have done to get ahead? So it's a mixture of that and just fun making things up. Interesting. Well, you are a former CPA, which is interesting, Joe. So the the fact that your books all are about money, money, fortune, money, faucet, hard cash, I find that is, has to be informed from, from your career. But did you crawl into a bathtub in the middle of a dark, stormy night with bugs and, and mud to write the stories? No, uh, nothing dramatic like that. <laughs> Just uh, this idea. It really, the, the real beginning was I wanted to write uh, nonfiction about how I grew up. And when I started writing that, I started making so many things up. And then I took a writing class. Well, I took two. One was fiction, one was nonfiction. And I found I really loved the fiction class because I thought it's so easy to make things up that seem plausible. So that's really how it started. There was never any uh, real dramatic things happening or any of that. It was just fun. Very interesting. Lynn, thank you for that that jumping off point or that jumping or diving in or mucking in point. I appreciate that. Um, I think uh, years ago, Lynn, when I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, my I was married at the time, and I think we hired somebody to fix um, the wall in our bathroom in our little house in North Cambridge, Mass., and it was a, a British gentleman. His last name was Lattimore. I remember his, his first name, but I'm not going to say it in case he's still alive. This was a long time ago. And um, he said something like when he was putting some kind of a, a mud or basis for the tiles in the bathtub, he said, I'm just going to go in there and muck around. And when you said that, Lynn, it brought back the memory of this guy. <laughs> so I'm going to go in your bathroom and I'll retile it, but I'm going to muck around. I thought, how British of him. By the way, I just want to go back to the opening. Our favorite, lovely, lanky Laura Legs, LL, you all remember, I always, always do a shout out to Laura on Long Island. Uh, I didn't want you to think I forgot you, Laura, but that's how we usually open the show. I'm so excited to see Dennis and Joe and hear from Lynn that I forgot my regular opening. So forgive me if I go backwards here for a minute. So this is Read My Lips Radio. I am AKA Radio Red. We are mo- we did move to the Variety Channel here on Voice America. This is my home for about 50 different business series under a different name on a different channel. So we'll leave it at that. Today is Monday, June 8th, 2020. And I have I did my shout out to LLL, LLL, lovely, lanky, Laura Legs, our most loyal listener. It is the 159th day of the Gregorian calendar. And we always say thank you to Greg or Greggy or Gregory, whatever his mother called him. And it's 160 days in leap years, which this is. There were 206 days to the end of 2020. So if you're planning on some libation, meaning a good shot of something, a drink at the end of the year to celebrate. Thank God 2020 is over and hopefully we'll all be alive and well. As soon as the liquor store is open, go out and buy something because those shelves are going to be empty really, really soon. I'm telling you, we have a lot of famous birthdays on June 8th and surprise to me, all of the people I knew that I picked are actually all alive. I usually have a bunch of people who passed away and I looked at the list 
and they're all still alive. So let me just go through these quickly. We're going to all say Joe and Dennis and Lynn, we're all going to say happy birthday at the end to all these famous people. So James Darren, does anybody remember? He played Moondoggy in the Gidget movie. Joe, are you nodding? Yes, I think you might remember. Yep. 1959, starring Sandra D and Cliff Robertson in the first one. And he sang the title track. Lynn, do you remember James Darren? I, are you kidding? I had a crush on him. I think we all did. By I the did way, too. <laughs> he, he was not a star of any means. And somebody met him and said, I want to introduce you to somebody in the Brill building in New York where records were made and movies were started. And he got in an elevator with Sylvia. I don't remember her last name. One of the big wigs in movies in those days. He got in an elevator with her quite by accident on his way to meet her. He didn't know who she was. She didn't know who he was. They met. They looked at each other like, who are you? Who are you? They got off at the same floor and she signed him to a major movie contract one week later. Can you believe that? That's Those are the days when those kind of stories are made. It's also the birthday of, if I hum a few bars, maybe you'll all, re- all know who this is. Dennis, you should know this. Keep on walking. Nancy Sinatra, these boots are made for walking. Lynn, did you get the the, uh, awful singing reference? I got it. I got it. (laughs) Okay, let's go to somebody. She was born in 1940. Happy birthday, Nancy Sinatra. Boz Skaggs. Everybody remember Low Down, all those other wonderful songs he did? Well, I'm playing drums on some of his songs now, not for him, but through my teacher. Bonnie Tyler, It's a Heartache, Total Eclipse of the Heart, Welsh singer-songwriter, born today in 51. I can still call her a young woman. Griffin Dunn, a very talented American actor, director, and producer, born today. How about Keenan Ivory Wayans, actor, director, and screenwriter, born today in 58. Now, here's one I'm especially interested in, Juliana Margulies, American actress. Remember, she started out on ER... And wasn't she in love? She was nurse somebody and she was in love with George Clooney's character, right? Okay. Well, then she moved to The Good Wife, which is now The Good Fight, but she's no longer in it. But she is now making guest appearances on Billions on Showtime. And she's a very sexy, non-repressed college instructor who is about to has started a fling with Paul Giamatti's character, the DA. If you don't watch Billions, take a look. High-powered money. Talk about money, OMG, the, the the concept of how people make money, filthy lucre, you might say, through uh, through stocks and through buying and selling companies is absolutely fascinating. I recommend it. Mark Feuerstein, uh, actor, director, and producer. They're all actor, directors, and producers. He was Dr. Hank Lawson in the TV series Royal Pains, which I enjoyed also taking place in the Hamptons. Dr. Hank accidentally sets up a boutique concierge medical practice in the Hamptons and you get to see how people live and how they dress and how they walk and how they talk. And it was really kind of cool. And he rescues a lot of people very elegantly. Kanye West, is there anything I have to say about him? Happy birthday, Kanye. And finally, Kim Kleisters, the Belgian tennis player, number one in singles and doubles, six grand slams. And she took a couple years off to get married and have a baby and came back and within three, three, tournaments she was already back on top in the world so kim kleister is happy happy birthday today is world oceans day so go find an ocean if you're allowed to leave the house yes we're in the pandemic and say happy birthday to the oceans today that's all i'm going to say i don't know when they were born on that note let's get back to our topic here so lynn let's start with you how do you pick how do you find 
talented writers like Dennis D. Wilson and Joe Calderwood? Where did you find them? Did they find you? And how did you decide that they were, I'm just going to say it, Lynn, good enough for your boutique publishing firm? Go ahead. Um, a lot of the times uh, writers will come through their agents to me. Um, and uh, uh, that's how Dennis came through um, an agent that I know. And uh, she asked me to take a look at his, at his work. And um, I did. And I, and we were just, I was just getting ready to launch uh, Water Street Crime at the time. And I said to her, what, what do you think? Um, should I invite him to be part of Water Street Crime? And she said, oh, I, I was kind of hoping you would say that. <laughs> so, um, so that's how I met Dennis. Um, we actually met in person in Chicago during the day, what, two or three years ago now, Dennis? I think it was three years ago, I think, but yeah, it was a while ago. Um, maybe even four. And, uh, I met Joe actually through a mutual friend, uh, who said, take a look at, at, uh, my friend's writing. And I did. And I, and again, I just thought he was, his books were perfect for what we were trying to do, um, you know, and so that's how, that's how we met. Um, how do you, how does an, how does an editor know if somebody's writing is good mm-hmm. in general? It, does it keep you up at night? Do you have to go on to the next page? Can you put it down? If you can't put it down, uh, you're probably onto something. Um, and I, you wouldn't believe the, the put downable manuscripts that come across my desk. Um, that are just really, really easy to sort of let go and say, oh, this is nice. But, but it's when you find something that you, that you have to stay with, that stays with you. You leave, you've got to go out to dinner, you're meeting friends, and the characters stay with you while you're getting ready or while you're taking a walk to the restaurant. Or, and you keep thinking about them and, uh, and wondering how they're going to get out of whatever scrapes or adventures they're in. So it's really uh, you know, there's there's nothing objective about it. It's it's all very subjective. It'll vary one editor to another, one one uh, reader to another. Um, but you know, that's uh, that's that's essentially the criteria. Um, do you, do you have to keep reading? And Thank I think you, that's Lynn. true for for all of us who edit and who read, which is hopefully the vast majority of us. It, it is. And when I was reading my first book from Dennis and the first book I read from Joe, those were page turners. And, and it is totally subjective. It is not how many pages did they write and how many words per page and how many times did they mention a pronoun or did they mention the character's name or describe what they were wearing? It's really that feeling you get, isn't it, Lynn? It's that the emotional mm-hmm. impact of, of the story. I want to talk to uh, Joe. I want to talk to you first about Clint Kennedy, and then we'll come back to Dennis, to, to Dean Wister. But I was very intrigued, Joe, because Clint Kennedy ex-banker, ex-con, American expat living in Mexico's glorious white city. I'm reading a little bit here. Exiled north to Miami by his boss, the drug kingpin Pablo Navarro, to get him out of the way at the breakout of a brutal inter-cartel war. That's a mouthful. So question is, everything about Clint is high level. It's elegant. You describe what he's wearing, the linen suits and, and the private planes he's traveling in and the Cohen family, who are the, the bankers, who he, he's been lifelong friends with their family, the good son, the not so good son uh, and the mother and dad. And the mother serves cocktails 
at five o'clock sharp. And if you're not there, you miss her cocktail hour. And the love between this, this older couple, the Coens who own the bank. Uh, there's an elegance, Joe. This must come from, from your background. You describe with exquisite detail the surroundings, the buildings, the people, and everything. But my question is, Joe, when you're painting this beautiful picture of these people and these settings, you're also talking about crime. So since the theme of today's show is getting inside the head of crime thriller novelists, how do you balance how much beauty you're going to describe to us with how much fear and terror and scared stuff you're going to slam us with? So Joe, talk to me. Uh, okay. As far as uh, scenes and action and stuff like that. So I grew up in Miami long time ago and uh, was there until the 80s. Also lived in Merida, Mexico for two and a half years from 2005 to 2007. And uh, also had quite a few friends that did a variety of things and very wealthy friends, some that weren't. And uh, so in my head, I could put this together as far as the elegance, maybe that you call it, of these people, how they live, how maybe they want to dress their home, the swimming pools they have, or their cars, or where they're going to eat, and the fine dining is uh, I experienced some of that, that it really isn't a big thing to me as far as wanting to have my life that way, but it is a thing of many people and people I know. So that was easy to put that part together of people I know that live that way in cocktail hour at five o'clock. And uh, maybe just like Dave and Candace, the parents of Clint's best friend, Jack. Well, I knew people like that. And, and I was, I mean, I grew up poor, but our neighbors, this was an area called the Redlands, grew up poor. This area, the Redlands, south of Miami, agricultural area. I grew up on 65 acres, but we were really poor. My neighbors were some of the wealthiest people in the area that where there was a airstrip for landing their planes between our property and theirs and I was treated as an equal to them they were really good people so I had a real experience of that and I just thought the divergence of these things was interesting because I can even remember coming home from their home their property over to ours and I think wow if I had to choose living where we live or living where they live I'd choose that how do you do that and that's part of the thing where I say Clint's an opportunist. Um, I may be a little bit of that. But anyway, that's how some of the elegance, description, things like that came about. And then talking about crime is a lot of people have gotten very wealthy doing things illegal, let's say. And I've known some people like that. So, uh, and they really weren't bad people. They just didn't abide by the laws. So there you are. Thank you. I'm, I'm thinking back, Joe, to the scene about how they set up the money laundering 
assembly line, if you will. I remember that from the book I read. And it was so detailed uh, who had to be at what station at what time of the morning and how fast the presses had to run if they were making money. And when the couriers came, I hope I'm doing justice to this, Joe, yeah. it was a while ago I read it. And, and, and who was going to get it through whatever loopholes in the banking system so nobody would know where the money was coming from, where it was going, and who was putting the who putting their life on the line basically in the risks of getting caught. It, it was very sinister, but it was so detailed. So did this keep you up, you as the writer, did this keep you up at night thinking, how can I put so much detail into this that my readers are going to say, Whoa, Joe Calderwood knows an awful lot about laundering <laughs> money, but I love what he's sharing with me. Did you ever walk that line of semi-autobiographical? I'm not willing. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> I had somebody about a week ago tell me they live here in my development and they're part-year residents. And uh, they they had recently read the first two books. And the guy, the husband said, this is an autobiography, isn't it? And I said, no, it isn't. <laughs> and it's not the first time somebody's done that. So, in a, it doesn't offend me or anything. It's just, I guess, seems so real to them when they're reading, especially if they know me, they believe that. Uh, but what's interesting is on my reviews on Amazon, one of the reviews that I got was from a banker and said, what this guy's talking about Calderwood on staying fortune is actually doable. And it really, the whole part of this of how to move that money started because I knew a long time ago from being a CPA and auditing is in bank auditing, there are, there is a thing called dormant accounts. And those accounts are individuals that have money in these accounts and they haven't touched them for a period of time and after three to five years depending on what state you're in those monies get turned over to the state mm -hmm. considered dormant well that was in my mind a lot for many many years if you really wanted to steal money from a bank and you were inside a bank you just take that money out of those dormant accounts and who would ever know so that's kind of where that started and then it became that is that could be a funding vehicle for all this cash that these people wanted to launder and wire it in and keep it under 10,000, et cetera, et cetera. So it all actually started with dormant accounts and then going backwards to about how that could all be used and put together. Interesting. Joe, I'm going to ask you a personal question you do not have to answer. You grew up in this, this environment with wealthy people next door. You mm -hmm. envisioned how Clint Kennedy would live. You knew enough about banking and money through your CPA and, and career with banks. How old were you when you published your first book? In other words, how long did this sit in your mind and say, I think I'll sit down and write a crime novel today because I know all this great stuff and I may as well put it into a book. What, what, you don't have to give me exact age, but what time part of your life did this occur to you to write it? Uh, it started in 2009. And what happened, like I'd said earlier, I'd been wanting to write a true story, nonfiction mm -hmm. about how I grew up, which... I think it's pretty interesting. Maybe other people wouldn't, but anyway, I did. And that's got me interested in writing. And I'd met some other writers when I was living in Mexico. And that they said, yeah, you should put some of this together. 
the only problem was as I started putting it together, I thought, hey, spice this up. I need to make them things up. Okay. And when I got those 200 page written, I thought I should take a writing class. And by then we had moved back to the States and Asheville area, took two writing classes at the University of North Carolina. And one was nonfiction, one was fiction. And I loved the fiction because when I wrote this little short story, first was called The Second Time I Went to Prison, is mm -hmm. I just made it up because the teacher gave out an assignment and said, you want to do this? Everybody write a story first time. And probably I said, well, why don't we do the second time? What would that be? Second time something. And that's where I started this whole thing. When I read it in the class, after the break during the class, the other students came around. And they said, you've been to prison two times. And I said, no, I've never <laughs> been to prison. So it seemed so real to them as I loved it. And I just kept writing. Thank you for that. P part of the reason I'm doing this topic today on Read My Lips Radio, and this is addressing Dennis and Joe and Lynn and, and my audience, is that I wanted to get into the heads of all of you and maybe inspire people who think they might have a story inside of them. Maybe you could follow the lead of Joe Calderwood, take a couple of writing classes, see what grabs you, and then think, if I were going to tell my own life story, would anybody really want to read it? But what if I spice it up, put a little crime in there, put a little mystery in there, put a couple of bad people? Last question for you, Joe, because Wait. I want to talk to... Yeah, Lynn, go ahead. I just I just wanted to say that um, I, I actually have read pieces of the, of the story that Joe's writing, the, the nonfiction story, and it's wonderful, and people will want to read it when he's ready to publish. So let me just let me just put that out there as a tease. And then the other thing that I wanted to say is I have been to Joe's home and been invited for cocktails. And I will tell you that and it, totally without pretension, but Joe lives as graciously as he now lives as graciously as the characters he writes about. So don't let him fool you. I, I had I had a feeling he did. Joe, one last question for you before I move over to Dennis. And thank you for that, Lynn. I appreciate that. I wish we could see you on Zoom, Lynn. We can hear you on the phone, but I wish. Well, we'll figure out the next time uh, Joe, I'll get question on. is Clint Kennedy, uh, absolutely, is Clint Kennedy a protagonist or an antagonist? Because starting out with us the second time I went to prison, he's an ex-con, he's an ex-banker, he's an ex-everything. Is he is he a, a hero, an anti-hero? How do you categorize him? I'd say he's a hero. He's just somebody that was uh, wanting to get ahead. And what's he going to do to get there? He wasn't a bad person. And there's some positive traits about him. And just like this, uh, it sounds like it's all about the money and getting more and more. But Clint had reached the point in his early 30s when he moved to Merida, Mexico, is he wanted to give back somehow. He'd gotten into trouble in Miami, but he had made some money and he wanted to do a, a restart. So he was hitting the reset button. And uh, he realized when he lived in Merida, something he could do was help the lowest of the low class, the Mayan, which is true. The Mayans are the lowest class, they're the natives. Then you have the Mexicans and Spanish. Spanish are the high class. So Clint's idea was, I'm gonna help these people move up the ladder and I'm gonna start an English speaking school for these Mayans pay for the whole thing, get good teachers in there. And so he has these redeeming qualities 
along with this do anything to get ahead. So I would say he's protagonist, not antagonist, and uh, is willing to take any kind of risk to get to that reward, whatever it is, whether it's a relationship or material success or whatever. And he is helping other people. Thank you, Joe. I wanted to clear that up for our listeners. The lead character doesn't have to be all good, and he or she doesn't have to be all bad. We like a mix. Dennis D. Wilson, let's talk more about Dean Wister. Uh, he loves a good brawl. He will beat somebody up on the, the front of a, of a bar out on a, of a tavern. Um, he's got a dog. He will go in the snow and hunt somebody down. Um, he's not afraid to go into places that most people wouldn't go. He picks up on clues. He's very clever. He's not a fancy guy. So talk to me a little bit about what, how, how did you create Dean? What part of you said, this is a cool guy in this beautiful setting in Wyoming, and he's going to go solve crime. So how did you put those two together? Dennis? Well, I'm also a CPA as well. But my, my early in my career, I was a high school English teacher. <laughs> and I had a young new baby, and I wasn't making enough money, so I decided to sell my soul because I was a CPA for 30 years. <laughs> um, I worked in a financial service. Um, at one point, then my wife said, you know, you've been talking about writing a book and doing some writing for all ever since I've known you. We're not getting any younger, so it's time you do something. So that's that was the genesis of it. But the character, as Joe says, if I think of it consciously now, I wasn't thinking of it consciously when I created the character. I can see that I've spent most of my adult life in Chicago, as Dean has. Um, I fell in love with Jackson Hole as a young man, as Dean did. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my parents are from Appalachia. And that's where Dean is from, where Dean is from. So those things all were unconscious in my creation of Dean. I know I wanted a Chicago cop who's going to write a crime book. I wanted him to be able to a connection to Jackson Hole. I wanted him to have a connection to Appalachia. Don't even know that I consciously did that. It was sort of unconscious in a, in a way. Um, and I find now as I'm looking at what I've written, I can, I can see unconscious motives or unconscious decisions that I've made that only now I can see after it's over how I've made those decisions. Interesting. Would you say, and we just talked about this with Joe Calderwood, would you say that there's some of Dean in you? You mentioned that you have some of the same backgrounds. Would you say there's any of Dennis D. Wilson in the character of Dean Wister, or is he just somebody you birthed, you spawned? Well, of course, there's a little bit because those are common elements that I just, that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. but it may be my fantasy version of myself. That's what I wanted to know. Um, um, certainly, I'm not. I, I sort of exaggerate some of the qualities that Dean has that I don't have, and vice versa. Uh, I know when I finished the book and I gave it to my wife to read, and she read it, and she says, "You may know from there's some secrets that revealed in this book." She said to me, "There's just something you need to tell me because of the, some of the themes in the book." Um, and I, I'm reminded of what. I heard Gillian Flynn interviewed once and she said, I don't know how my husband sits next to me knowing what's in my mind. So we can write about characters that are nothing like us. We can, we can empathize with those Mm -hmm. kinds of characters, even when we're nothing like them. But yes, there is, there's some of Dean in me, but I would say there's some of that being every character that I write in some way, because it has to be birthed from my imagination. Therefore it is part of me. It was coming from my imagination. 
Okay, I want to pick your brain a little bit about some of the other characters, Dennis. Uh, we have Senator Tom McGraw, very interesting guy with a huge secret that is not revealed till almost the end of the book. You sure had me on the edge of my seat on that one. And he is deciding to run for president. Interesting times we live in. No, this is not a political commentary show, but interesting about the, the backstory of how a campaign would work and how you get get people to give you opportunities to speak and who he represents and all that. Then we have a property manager. We got some real estate people. We've got uh, Hayden Smith and we've got Eliza who is selling, uh, selling cosmetics or something. I don't know what she was selling on one of those MLMs. Her, uh, her husband, um, Matt Nelson, they're selling some kind of, was it vitamins or what were they selling? Well, the, there's a, he's sort of a, a rascal. You talk about backstories. I've created a backstory for every character. And in fact, yeah. in the six, six, the grand six Tet of six stories, four of them are stories about characters in the grand series, oh. um, including the, some of the characters that you've mentioned. It gives their, their backstories and what made them tick before is sometime before the grant happened. So that was kind of interesting to go back and, and, and meet them before they were ever in the grand. Um, so how did I create them? Well, it, those some of them were created just from plot lines. I, I has a plot line story. I need a character for that plot line. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of create an interesting character. For me, it was interesting here to find a, a kid who was sort of in and out of trouble, and he wants to turn himself around. He reads some self-help books. He gets motivated to do that, and then he gets involved in the MLM industry, and he's very earnest mm-hmm. in, his, in his pitches to Dean, and Dean's kind of amused by his earnestness and also kind of charmed by them at the same time. And then he's involved with a, a young woman who's a stripper and they have a love affair. Love It's a weird love affair. <laughs> so I always sort of like to find a character and turn a little bit on its nose so it's not exactly what you'd expect from that kind of character. So that's what I really enjoy doing is you find something about the character you wouldn't expect from that stereotype of what the person might be. Well, Dennis, I find that I didn't expect most of your characters to be in the book at all. And that's what I find so intriguing about your writing. I didn't mention Boris Burkhoff is running a human trafficking ring that goes all the way from Russia to Chicago and extends to Wyoming. We've got Mario Rosati, a Chicago mobster who is, Joe knows this, laundering money. You've got some money laundering going on in your book. He's blackmailing the senator. He knows Boris. Who knows Boris? Who doesn't? Who's living next door? I think Dan Quayle owns. Was it Dan Quayle, the character who owns the... Oh, Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney. Sorry about that. And dog after him. So, and it just the, the you have so many elements of the money laundering and the trafficking. And and anybody who doesn't know what MLM is, that's multi level marketing, like uh, Mary Kay or an Amway. That's multi level. So we, I just wanted to make that clear. And then you've got the senator, and then you've got his secret, and you've got Dean, who is. He's off the police force. He's on the police force. He He's doing too much. And he's got his IT guy back in Chicago who's helping him with his computer background stuff for the solving the crime. You've got bodies dropping all over the place and chases in the snow. Do you feel, Dennis, that your imagination, you just said to it, run wild. Just take me wherever you want to go. Put in all this color in terms of characters and scenarios and just let us be entertained. How did you find so many characters? That's the struggle of being me. <laughs> Show's um, over. <laughs> it's a little overwhelming, isn't it? When you, when you put it that way, it seems a little overwhelming. Um, but sort of one string, it, see, I, it's sort of like pulling a string on a piece of fabric and it starts to unravel. Mm-hmm. So there's this crime that seemed very simple in the beginning. And then 
I pull the string, and as I unravel it, it's very, very complex. And there's all kinds of elements when you start pulling that string out, and it starts to unravel. So that's the way I kind of looked at the, at the plot was, it looked like it was a simple crime. You start pulling that string, and it all unravels, and you find all of these other elements. What is the end? Because you have five or six different ways it can go. How does it, what do we find when we get to the end? So that's sort of the, was the thought behind the, the storyline. And there's a lesson for anybody who thinks they have a story in them, right, Joe? And right, Dennis, the idea of find your plot and and create your storylines and then create characters to carry those storylines, which you you just said. Lynn, I want you to chime in on this. We're talking about process here. Lynn, you work with both of these gentlemen. What do you think? I think that I, I think they're saying very intelligent, truthful things. I just I do want to add that beyond plotting the most important driver of a story when, you know, that thing that makes you want to read the next page and the next page and the next page is you have to care about the characters. And mm-hmm. if you don't care about the characters, you really don't care what they do. Um, so the character, you have to be able to relate in some way to, to the character. And I mean, I'm, I'm not a guy. I don't relate to the guy characters that way, but I love, but I love them and I want to know what happens to them because um, even, you know, Clint, who's a very flawed human being, you yes. want to, uh, you want to know more about him because you know, he's a good guy. He's the anti-hero. You want to, you want to know more about him with, with Dean, you know, you, you admire him because of his toughness and you admire him even more for his vulnerabilities and the fact that he's got this wife that he loved so dearly that he can't let go of her or she can't let go of him. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why she's there. So it's the characters that you really care about. And both these, both Joe and, and, and Dennis have created these worlds and created these characters that you want to be a part of. You know, you want to live in Dean's cabin. You want to, you want to be there in the, in the mountains. You want to feel that, that you smell that fresh air and, and be there with him. Even, you know, beyond the adventure, he takes you on the adventure and the adventure is wonderful but you can ground yourself in really uh, loving the character. And it's, you know, it's the same thing with Clint. You want to be in Mexico. You, you, you would, you would be friends with these guys because they're, they're both have very good hearts and uh, they're both admirable in their own ways and for different, very different reasons. Um, So I think that that's, that's part of it. It's not just sitting down and creating that great plot. It's creating that relatable, lovable, character whether he's lovable in the conventional sense or not so i want to be invited to one of candace, thank you i want to be invited to one of candace Cohn's cocktail parties joe I, w- I want to be there at five o'clock wearing a linen <laughs> dress i don't have to worry about pressing i want to be so wealthy i could just say oh that was yesterday's linen i'll get something else for tomorrow that's what i want to do and dennis i want to be there to say i want to give dean wister a hug and I want to say, Dean, it's okay that you talk to Sarah at night and that she's waiting for you when she talks to you because in our minds, now I'm, I'm choking up, in our minds, we all have somebody we miss, right? And that vulnerability of Dean remembering Sarah. Listen, I have a picture of my mom. Lynn knows uh, my mom passed away at, at 100 years, three years ago, and, and she was still living on her own, didn't need any help. And she just died in my arms. We didn't know she had a flu. It was way before this pandemic. And, and it was just, I can't breathe and she was gone and that was it. But I have a picture of her that a woman in her 90s did a portrait of my mother from a photograph, a woman um, named Marion, uh, Marion 
I uh, can't remember her last name. I think Marion Cohen in, in Great Neck. And she made a portrait of mom based on a photo of my mother raising a glass of rum and Coke at one of her hundredth birthday parties. That's how vibrant my mother was. But I leave my bedroom here. I'm in Durham, North Carolina, Joe. And I leave my bedroom and I come out in the hall every morning and I say, hi, mom. I say it. She doesn't talk back to me. I wish she would. Lynn, I'm going to get all mushy here. I wish you would, but I say, hi, yeah, mom. No. And I, mom, I, I, I slept well or I didn't, or mom, I wish you were here. I still talk to her. There's no feedback, but I, what I'm trying to say, Dennis, is thank you for putting that vulnerability, or it's not even vulnerable, that humanity in Dean Wister, that he loved her so much that Sarah's still part of her life. Anything you want to add to that, uh, Dennis? I was going to call you Dean. Wouldn't it be great, though, if we actually could do what Dean is doing, which is have that presence with us at night with the person that we we're missing so that and they would be yeah. so real yeah. that they would be really right there with us. And that's what I was trying to convey is he's able to do this through his mind games or whatever it is, his insanity, whatever it is, that she's a real presence to him. And we would all sort of long for that if we could have it. So that's that's what I was trying to really convey with that part of his character. And I like the way you did it better than now there's a. A very to me very creepy film of a of a woman in asia who uh they create a virtual reality character of her daughter her young daughter who passed away and she's able to interact with this vr character and there's a video going around and i couldn't even look at it. it's just just too surreal or not the reality i would want to have in my life of, of you know what i'm trying to say i'm going to get off topic here so we have i'm looking at the clock i know we have till 57 it's 49 now so we've got about eight minutes left i can still do my math in my head isn't that wonderful <laughs> and, and i want to go around the i've table. never been able to do math in my head I uh, well lynn some of us just have that gift <laughs> Joking. I, I want to go around the table and, and have everybody do some, we're not quite ready for parting words and we're all going to wave goodbye at the end. But I, I want to, um, Lynn, talk to me about how much did you have to encourage Joe Calderwood and Dennis D. Wilson? See, Dennis, I always got that D in there because in my other world, I, <laughs> I have the D. Uh, and two things I want to say, Lynn, how did you encourage them? I think you did, but I don't know the answer to write their sets of, of short stories. I didn't even know about that. And you told me, but Lynn, before you answer that, you mentioned something really key for our listeners. You said that Joe and Dennis create world, worlds around their character. They build a world and they invite us in. We want to empathize. We want to sympathize. We want to care about the characters. So for anybody who wants to write that book, that novel, Think about creating a world around your lead character. Joe, you want to nod if you agree with that? And, and Dennis? Yeah. Absolutely. The whole thing. The whole thing. Where, where do the sun rises and where the sun sets and what people look like and what the buildings look like and what kind of food they eat and, and who their friends are and where they grew up. Build the profile of the people in the environment so that we can identify and come in. So, Lynn, did you have to encourage these two gentlemen, these two very fine writers? And I've read your books and I, I love the way both of you write. And thank you for that entertainment. Lynn, do you have to encourage them to do this set of short stories or did they come to you and say, guess what? We want to do short stories. I, I, I will take credit for saying it was my idea, but I will tell you that all I had to do was suggest it to them and mm. they were off and running. So it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, just one of those. Why don't we think about doing the backstories of some of these characters? And that is essentially all I had to say to either of them. And the, the writing started to pour in. So, um, so it was fun. It was something that I wanted to read about because I like the, I mean, clearly I'm in love with the characters. So it was something I wanted to, to read about. And, uh, you know, it was, 
it was, uh, you know, I may have lit the firecracker, but these guys just exploded it and just really went with it and were great about uh, giving me these wonderful stories, which, which in itself is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a gamble when you ask somebody to move from a long form to short form or vice versa, because they're very different forms. It's, it's like, you know, writing poetry is very different than writing a novel. Writing a short story is very different than writing a novel because it's, a, it's condensed. It's, it's just, you've got to get to uh, a point uh, and you have a reason for writing the short story uh, that is very different than writing a novel. So to be able to be that dexterous and go from long form to short form is pretty extraordinary. Um, and they both did it so beautifully. I, I can't wait till these collections come out. So, um, and are you going to send so, me yeah, the ebook version? My suggestion is their their labor. Would you send me the? I I had a feeling it came from you. Just took a chance, but I know you pretty well. Would you send me the the PDF version when they come out? I'd love to read them. Absolutely, absolutely. So let, let me go around the table. Right, Joe Calderwood, how hard was it for you to go from long form to short form? And would you suggest a new writer write the short form with the backstories of five or six or eight characters and then put them into the novel, do it the opposite way you did? We just have about two minutes apiece before we have to wrap. So Joe, what's your thought? So I would say uh, it would be easier to start with the short story because that's how I started this whole series with a short story and people were interested in it. So I thought, well, hell, I could write more. And uh, I already had an idea of the two main characters, Alvaro and Clint, in my mind, because they were the two beginning this process. So that was the short story. Prison two times. Why'd the guy go to prison for it the second time? Wasn't even revealed in the short story. Is That kind of drove it. So short story was easy because there's beginning, middle, end, and it's not going to be a long thing. And versus a book and so that's my opinion on it thank you very much dennis talk to me short story first long form first as advice to a wannabe read writer my advice is to not do it the way i did it which is long form first i think short form first is probably the best way to go um i didn't like doing the short stories at first but by the end i loved it so it was a process that really helped me grow as a writer and um in terms of the, the backstories of the characters, my backstories and the short stories aren't really related to the, to the, to the book at all, mm. just about their life before the book ever happened. So, and it tells you something about the formation of their, of their personality and that sort of thing. So I did it really in, in terms of the process, but at first I didn't, I sort of struggled with it at the, in the beginning. Thank you very much. It, what, what you're talking about reminds me of when I was taking improv classes from Michael Gelman from Chicago, Second City, Chicago, in New York, in Manhattan years ago. And also from, I think her name was Judy Carter. And they said to us, if you want to do improv and you want to create characters, I like people who could bring improv characters to my television show, What's So Funny, where I could interview them for five minutes and they could tell a story about who they were, but they weren't real at all. And they said, build the character from the ground up. Where were they born? What kind of newspaper do they read? This was before internet newspapers. Uh, where did they go to school? What did they have for breakfast? What were their parents like? Uh, what did they major in if they went to college? Uh, what kind of a sweater would they wear on a cold day? Uh, what kind of movie would they see? What kind of books would they read? 
where would they go on a date, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Are they married? Do they have children? Do they have grandchildren? And write the whole profile of the character in order to be able to play that character. Thank you, Josh. To play that, Josh is giving me the two minute warning. In order to play that character, you had to write the profile of the whole character so you could step into that character's shoes, if you would, in their footprint. And we didn't get to talk about how, if that's how you write your characters, but I have a feeling it was. I just want to say thank you. We've got a minute and a half left. Let's do a shout out, each of you, to somebody near and dear to you. Just just a couple of seconds. Joe Calderwood, who do you want to say hello to? Hello to my husband, Gil. Hello, Gil. I've heard your name. I've seen your name. And and nice to almost meet you here. Dennis D. Wilson, who do you want to say hello to? I have to say hello to my wife, Paula. I would say she's my muse. Oh, very good. Paula, good job. He writes well. And Lynn, anybody you want to do a shout out to? I do. I'm going to I'm going to shout out my fairy goddaughter, Abby, who's if uh, she's a, a nurse. She's been a frontline worker during the pandemic. And while she was in the pandemic, her three year old son was diagnosed with diabetes. And she managed to juggle all that in the marriage and, and just be a beautiful human being through all the stress. So she deserves a shout out. God bless her. And I'm going to do a shout out to the three of you, Lynn, for keeping these guys going with creativity. And I love the idea that you sparked the short story set for both of them. I, I just had a feeling it was you and I hit it on the head. Dennis D. Wilson, always a pleasure. Love the dark glasses and the cowboy hat. You really rocked it, kid. Joe Calderwood, such a joy to see you. I've talked to you all on the radio, but never seen you. I think Zoom really rocks. And to our listeners, I hope you're all staying safe. Don't get fooled into going back to doing things too early. We don't know about the the super spreaders. We don't know about what's next in the, the COVID-19. So please be safe. We are sending love and kisses to all of you. I'm going to have my people in the studio here, Dennis D. Wilson and Joe Calderwood, wave. And thank you to Josh, our engineer at Voice America Variety, and Lynn Venucci. Thank you so much for joining us on phone aka radio red signing off go out and have a cool conversation with the creative and come back and tell us about it aka radio red at gmail.com bye bye thanks again for tuning in to read my lips radio presented by the voice america variety channel Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit VoiceAmerica.com. the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by voice america talk radio network it's staff and management.